You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2007 Frankfurt Avenue. For more information, check out circleofhope.net or join us in person on Sunday evenings at 5 and 7 p.m. Hello, all. It's really wonderful to be able to be here, speak with you, and connect with you, be a part of this community. Um, for those who've been here much longer than I have been, and for those who may have walked in the doors for the first time tonight, I'm glad that we're all a part of this. So tonight I'm going to be talking about tending our stories and how good fruit can grow as we do that. So for those who may not know me as well, I am from Texas. I am the youngest diapers out. Um, Those are my three older siblings. We were all homeschooled. I am extroverted, competitive, and just a little bit of a perfectionist. I hope that that short introduction can give you a little bit of a kind of round out the set of the, the setting of my life. Hopefully not try and define too much the person within it. Because stories are really powerful. They are inspiring, heartbreaking, and sometimes terrifying. I personally am not a fan of horror stories, although I do understand the satisfaction of watching the worst case scenario play out on a screen in front of you rather than having it play out in your head all the time. That's just not how I cope with the events of the world that sometimes are a little more like horror stories than we would want them to be right now. Some people cope with horror movies. Some people watch a lot of Netflix and TV. I personally have never been the big binge watcher because after I get past an episode or two, my extroverted self goes, ooh, but there's so many fun things out there and people to talk to. So it's not really my thing. But last winter, I was house-sitting. I was in a house alone in New Jersey and felt like, oh, now's a good time to watch something. But starting back up with House of Cards probably isn't the best idea right now. So I decided to try out something different. I had heard a lot about this show called Jane the Virgin, that it was real funny, and so I was like, oh, you know, I'll just watch a few episodes while I'm here and then leave, go back to my life, and that's that. You know, probably won't care about it anymore. But in the last eight months since that time, I have watched exactly 64 episodes, 45 minutes a piece. So uh, did I also mention I started grad school in January? So what Jane the Virgin has helped me realize is that it is really important to listen to the entire story. And during this time of increased learning and stress and social exposure, there's a lot that I can learn from Jane Zabuela, who gives us this lovely mnemonic device of uh, words standing for uh, calm. Um, Cheese, Abuela, Lists, and Jane's Little Stuffed Monkey. Um, Cheese and List is definitely in my mnemonic device, too. Jane the Virgin is told in the style of a telenovela, uh, albeit one with more nuance and empathy and grace than you see in a lot of TV shows. 
And even though the characters are repeatedly faced with a new roadblock, challenge, villain, heartbreak, the prevailing story is one of deep love and commitment between three generations of women, Alma, not pictured here, Xiomara, and Jane. Their stories are not only dramatic in true telenovela style, um, but also traumatic. Um, and is one of the most relatable and honest TV depictions I've seen of complex families, female friendships, anxiety, and grief. And even though the thread of trauma is in their stories is undeniable, it's woven together with threads of growth and understanding and healing. So now I want to turn our attention to some stories that are about Jesus, but that are dramatic to the point of almost being like a telenovela. Um, and also speak to how people respond to various types of trauma. So in the first story, Jesus encounters a man who has been oppressed by evil spirits for a long time. And when Jesus tells the spirits to leave the man, they begin to argue, argue and bargain with him, in this kind of comical back and forth narrative, and the Aspie's sent into a herd of pigs. Jesus obliges, thus freeing the man from oppression and also causing quite a ruckus. So the passage will be up on the screen behind me. I will read through it, and then we will see what we can take away from this short story. When the herdsmen saw it, they fled to the nearby town and the surrounding country, countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been freed from the demons. He was sitting at Jesus' feet, fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what happened told the others how the demon-possessed man had been healed, and all the people in the region of the Gerasenes begged Jesus to go away and leave them alone, for a great wave of fear swept over them. So Jesus returned to the boat and left, crossing back to the other side of the lake, the man who had been freed from the demons begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him home, saying, No, go back to your family and tell them everything God has done for you. So he went all through the town proclaiming the great things Jesus had done for him. So one of the things I picked up on from this story is that it shows how people witnessed the oppression and trauma that this man had been going through um, and obviously knew the story of him. And then he is freed from this oppression. And instead of opening up and risking connection, they respond in fear. And we could judge them. I generally would, that would be my first instinct, um, for their lack of compassion and openness. But I think that even when we wish for someone's healing, actually taking the time to listen to their story, to hear about the trauma, it can be very challenging on a personal level. And it's especially hard when maybe that healing didn't happen in a way that we thought it should, or the story isn't finished yet. So, a little example and story of my own. I'm in school right now, like I mentioned before, just started a master's in geography and urban studies at Temple and I'm aiming to get that master's and a GIS certificate and focus primarily on development of holistic systems for neighborhood support where transportation access is kind of the key and affordable housing and community stability are the 
other supports, other two legs of that tripod. What got me interested in this path overall, though, uh, really was riding my bike in the city, listening to more conversations about bicycle infrastructure, and then going a step deeper to learn about the lack of equity and justice and where the transportation resources are going. Um, so there's this resource, the West Philly History, um, that combines stories with maps, which is sort of where my like nerd alert goes off. Um, and even though I wasn't involved in this at all, it's one of the things that uh, I aspire to be able to do and, and replicate in other ways um, once I'm done with school. So West Philly is an important part of the story. Towards the end of my spring semester, I was in class and we were having a discussion about um, community engagement, particularly along the Chestnut Street corridor, which as you may or may not know, recently got a new bike lane. This is after a few years of talking to the neighbors and there's, there's been a lot of back and forth. Um, and I thought that, you know, as I was hearing these stories about community engagement, um, I would generally respond openly and compassionately, um, but it's still a work in progress. Because my classmate was sharing her experience of living on Chestnut Street with her family, not being engaged, not feeling like she had a voice and basically feeling like she woke up one day and all of a sudden the entire street was changed. And now walk out the door and there's bikes going by, she's trying to get into her car and it's frustrating. And there's a history here of people in West Philadelphia not being heard and seen and engaged and other residents being prioritized as University City District pushes out and long-term residents are kind of pushed aside. So my classmate was sharing her frustration and then she got to a point where she was relating a conversation between her and her mom and said, you know, sometimes we're just so frustrated with all of these bikes, we wish we could just run them over. And that, at that point, I didn't want to listen anymore. I was, I was very much done. And so she asked rhetorically where, where all the bikes had, what all they, they had been doing before this bike lane was installed. And I replied with trying to not be run over. Um, so her story had her frustration had opened up a place in me that was vulnerable, where I still felt raw from close calls on a bike, from being hit by a car. And as I later considered my reaction and put some thought into processing this moment, I was able to acknowledge that the story she was sharing was not about me. And listening to that story was important for my growth, for facing anger, that is a part of my own story and engaging with some of the complexity of these stories at a deeper level. And I wish I could say, you know, we had sat down and hashed it all out and everything, but we didn't get a chance to talk again about that particular topic. Um, but I did 
turned back to listening and I picked up on my professor saying something about to her about a renovation project she was working on. So then one of our last class were walking out and I ask, start the conversation, and she starts telling me all about the kitchen that she's tackling and the projects that she's doing and taking on all this stuff in this house that she just bought. And so then we had a few minute conversation as we're leaving class and going on with our day, sharing an experience. And I hope that even though both of our stories aren't finished yet, that putting ourselves into positions of listening prep the ground for both of us, I know it did for me, for new things to begin to grow. In the story about Jesus and the man who is freed from oppressive spirits, um, I don't think his story was done yet either. This is a lovely uh, illustrator and the graphic at the bottom is what I really felt was appropriate to this talk. I think Jesus may have sent him back home because his healing from oppression and trauma was just one step toward the healing in his family and his community. His personal freedom from oppression was not the end of the story and neither was the people's fear in the immediate area. There was more listening to be done. And listening is an essential part of building trust and vulnerability, essential parts to our community. Isolation pulls us apart, and the onslaught of news reports and daily crises can numb us, becoming like a low buzzing in our ears that will drown out the voices of those next to us. But the ones next to us are the ones who we really need to be listening to. Even as I prepared this talk, I had several dear women who listened to me and also gave me some practice in listening. Kristen, Jess, Hannah, Caitlin, and Anna. They were my Alma, Ziomara, and Jane. In the cells I've been a part of, there's a powerful moment when you realize somebody is sharing a story that hasn't been told in a long time or hasn't been shared in a safe space before. And that's, I think that's part of God having a deeper story and tending it in all of us, bringing out hope, bringing out the fruit of tenderness and vulnerability. So I wanna read one final story together. It's a little bit longer, so I would like for somebody to volunteer to engage in a little bit of dramatization. I will read the bulk of it, but there will be some parts highlighted in yellow uh, that are the other characters in this narrative. Um, so to set the scene, Jesus was told that his friend Lazarus was sick and people were asked him to come. He did not leave immediately when, and when he finally did, he told his disciples that Lazarus was sleeping uh, and he was going to wake him up, but they didn't pick up on the metaphor and so Jesus has to become more direct. Um, so is there somebody who would like to read some text with me as we engage in this dramatic story? Great, thanks, Alvi. So I'm gonna read the white and you will read the yellow. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there for now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, 
Let's go too and die with Jesus. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, I said. He will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone in, who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told me. I've always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, The teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep, so they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, See how much he loved him. Some said, This man killed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested. Lord, he's been dead for four days. Smell the terror. <laughs> Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes and his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, Unwrap him and let him go. So in this story, there's a lot there. We're not going to try and analyze it. We're mostly just listening today. There's anger, pain, grief, loss, feeling of abandonment. And there's even somebody who dies, but then plot twist, he's alive again. There's also vulnerability, connection, and beginning of healing. It might be easy to look at this narrative and just see doubt, misunderstanding, and confusion. But as I look at each person and their experience and how they are responding, there's also a deeper thread of hope and faith that is not leaving these people in their sorrow and anger. They are moving forward and their stories are not finished. Later in John's retelling of Jesus' time on earth, Many of these people show up again and engage even deeper in Jesus' story as he approaches death, suffers trauma, and experiences resurrection. And I think we are invited as followers of Jesus to listen deeply, to hear the stories of others, and not assume they are done. 
And I want to offer a few practical ways that we can position ourselves to listen and honor the stories that we hear. One of the ways that has been helpful to me in the last year or so is journaling. And I see it as kind of practicing writing your story. There's not a right or wrong way. And it's more about being tender, those past versions of yourself. It's also really important to learn about where you come from, your place, your history, your family. All of those things are part of your story and are important, but they also don't define you. And that's where engaging in psychotherapy is so important. It's a process that helps us to listen to our own stories with more compassion and thus have more compassion on those around us. And being in community, it takes more than one person to listen. So doing this together will help us to learn and practice this regularly. Being part of one of our cells during the week, just calling up a friend, having dinner together. And remember that each person's story is different and it's still developing. We aren't who we were and we're still in the process of growing into who we will be next. I wanted to close with this lovely poem by Padre Gatuma. And I said to him, are there answers to all of this? And he said, the answer is in a story and the story is being told. And I said, but there is so much pain. And she answered plainly, pain will happen. Then I said, will I ever find meaning? And they said, you will find meaning where you give meaning. The answer is in the story and the story isn't finished. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.